it's, it's always an appropriate time to ask, okay, so what do you want for Christmas this year? What would you like for Christmas? So I'm asking adults and anyone that's here like grades six to adulthood at what do you want for Christmas? If you are old enough, you remember um, every, let's say, fall of the year, Sears and J.C. Penney would send to your house this massive catalog that was intended to provoke your desires to make you think, okay, what do, I, what do I want for Christmas in this season? And I remember, like, I, I feel for kids these days that don't get to experience those moments when they came because now you just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And I mean, that lacks the feel and the intense nature of the Christmas season when you have laying in your lap, lap the J.C. Penney's Christmas catalog. I don't know why my mind still goes to my, my parents did a great job of making Christmas feel like Christmas. The lighting, the mood, the trees, the decorations, the everything. I remember sitting in our basement, corner of the couch, with J.C. Penney's catalog open, and this, I know, I really believe it was this chintzy, cheesy um, collection of plastic trucks and cars and whatever that I had determined that Christmas is what I wanted. I, I, I believe this, that if you were to go to the Dollar General store today, you would be able to find them because there was nothing spectacular about them, but there was something about them provoked in me a desire to have those things. So you, I could, we could stand up here all day long, the group of us, and just determine, okay, what was it? What were the highlights of your Christmas season? How did the Lord bless you? How has he poured out his love and his grace and his mercy on you through the person of Jesus Christ? Materially speaking, that's what I wanted as a child. But how about physically speaking? I just had a friend. He's a dear friend of mine, pastor in Huntington, Indiana. He just turned 54. And I said, well, here's what you can look forward to when you turn 55. You're going to need glasses. And I'm like, if I had a Christmas wish right now, it would be that I don't need glasses. I said, your knees, your left knee is going to start causing you problems when you turn 55, so celebrate the next one year of your life. You're going to have tennis elbow and both elbows. Why? I don't know. But it's going to happen when you turn 55. Your knee, oh, well, we've been through the knee. Your shoulders are going to hurt. And then let's go. Sleep becomes much more hard to come by. And so he sends his message back. He said, Todd, you laid that list out for me. He said, it's already happening at the age of 54. If I had a Christmas wish right now, physically speaking, I would choose not to endure those things. It would be like, Lord, why can't you just decide? We will not experience any physical ailments throughout the course of our lives, and you determine between the ages of 90 and 100 that that's the day we'll die without any physical ailments, you just take us home to be with you. Wouldn't that be a grand expression of the magnificence of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ if he just determined that's the way life would be? And I look around, I say that in jest, and I know there are many in here that are struggling with things far more significant than a sore knee or elbows or glasses, things that are threatening lives. 
Lord, wouldn't it be incredible if you determined to offer a Christmas gift of healing this Christmas? Relationally speaking, even as I look around the room, I know there are many who are struggling with relational issues, broken marriages, that, Lord, wouldn't it be grand if you determined to restore those marriages? Parents with broken relationships with their children, wouldn't it be grand if the Lord determined to, to, to fulfill a Christmas wish? Lord, please restore that relationship. How about the parent of the prodigal that has been gone for months or even years, living in a way contrary to what you taught them? What a great Christmas gift it would be if the Lord returned that prodigal home from their wild living. It's a dangerous place out there. Return them. I think about, it was a year ago, my mom died, Christmas time. If I had a Christmas wish, it would be that my dad wouldn't hurt anymore. It's been a year. Lord, Lord, please, it's a prayer in this moment. Take away his pain. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord determined in this moment to do that? Spiritually speaking, I know this. You are human. I am human. God, I have been battling this spiritual battle for decades. I'm asking you right now to intervene and remove that from me. Wouldn't that, if you can relate with me, be a tremendous gift of the Lord to us at Christmas time? What would happen if all of those things that I just laid out in front of us, plus whatever you are experiencing, desires you have from the Lord this Christmas, what would it be like if He determined to respond to every single one of those, the good works of the Lord, in such a way that it would please us? What would happen? This past week, I met with two young men. One was 16, the other one is around 30. So I asked the 16-year-old, I had today's passage on my whiteboard, I said, so, I said, uh, what, give me, give me one wish you would have for Christmas. He's 16. I saw what he drives. He's 16. I know what shoes he wants. He's 16. And I said to him, tell me, what is it that you would have for Christmas right now? One wish. Guess what he said? A 16-year-old said, peace. I'm like, what 16-year-old at Christmas time is concerned with having peace when you, are, when you could be granted one Christmas gift? He said, peace. One day later, I'm sitting with another individual, almost 30 years old, extreme hardship in his life, in a financial place that if I had a Christmas wish for him, it would be, Lord, give him a couple of thousand dollars to get him out of the situation he's in. So I said to him, I said, tell me now, what would you, one Christmas wish right now, what would, what would you ask for? I would ask it for $2,000 for him. You know what he said? Peace. 
I would ask for peace. Here's what I know based on those two specific meetings with these two individuals. I believe that most in here, yes, $2,000 would bring that individual peace. Yes, the straightening out of the things that this 16-year-old this is dealing with, yes, the straightening out of those things would bring him peace. But here's what I know. Through many, many discussions, through scrolling through the news, the world has proven to be a very unsettling place. From the things, the decisions that parents have to make regarding where their kids go to school because of what they're being taught, to festivals that are held in our towns, in our communities that celebrate things that we know are contrary to what God has for us, watching our communities in our country become much more open and receptive to things that offend God, to battles in the Middle East, to wars between Ukraine and Russia, to the list goes on and on and on. The world has become a very unsettling place, and it makes sense to me that a 16-year-old, that a 30-year-old, that you would say, God, here's what I would love to have this Christmas. Give me peace. Well, God grants us peace in relationship with Him through the person of Jesus Christ. And if you get nothing from today other than this, this is the absolute, simple, and straightforward place where you will find peace. It's when Christ is exalted in your life. Christ being exalted in your life. So let's look at our passage today, Psalm 46, verses 8 to 11. <clears throat> Read along with me if you will. Come, the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This passage speaks very clearly to where we get our peace, and I want to remind you once again, this is where you will find peace at Christmas and beyond. It's when the person of Jesus Christ is exalted in your life. So let's see what this passage has to say. How can I experience peace this Christmas is the question we're going to answer. And uh, while we could spend a long time talking about the depths of this passage, there are four things that we're going to um, be taking a look at as answers to this. How can I experience peace this Christmas? Here's the first one, by accepting all the works of the Lord. Verse 8 starts, come, behold the works of God. So let's stop for a moment and let's think through the works of God in your life. Where does your mind typically go when you think about, behold the works of God? Mine, as a confession, typically go to this, the good things that God has done for me, how He has provided for me over and over and over again, how He has protected me, how He has sustained me, how He has 
and the list goes on and on. This is where our mind tends to go. But the psalmist goes on to say, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. What are his works? His works are, yes, he has done many magnificent things for us. But he also, as the passage says, he brings desolations on the earth. And, and like, as I'm, as I'm wrestling over, I think I just want to really start at verse, um, verse 9. I want to skip verse 8 because what a, what a great Christmas message. Hey, guess what, folks? You are supposed to accept that God actually brings desolations into your life. He brings desolations to this world that we live in. He brings desolations to and through nations that we find in conflict with each other. Romans chapter 8, verses 21-22 says this of creation. Creation right now is not experiencing what God intended for it to experience. Creation right now, all of the earth, the animal kingdom, everything, mankind included, is not experiencing life and the exaltation of God Himself as God originally intended because of the fall of man, because man has introduced sin into the world, and sin continues to exist in this world. So creation, according to Romans chapter 8, has been subject to extreme hardship. Creation itself will be one day set free from its bondage of of corruption that you and I, as we respond like our father Adam did, in sin, creation is in bondage to corruption because of you and me. Paul says, it will be set free and obtain the freedom as the glory of the children of God. Verse 22 says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And all you have to do is take a moment and look at even just the seasons that roll through West Michigan. I find it most telling in in fall, the fall of the year. While God has determined to create something as beautiful as the fall colors that we get to experience and see for about a week, the beauty comes, it is expressed, we can see that is God's exaltation on display as we look over a sea worth of trees in all of their covers colors to then turn brown, to then fall off the trees, to then everything else turns brown and ugly, declaring, hey, look, because of the sin of mankind, the world has been corrupted and is groaning. That's an expression of the groaning. It's longing for itself to be made right creation. And then the Lord brings something as glorious as snow. Yes, it is. I believe that is an expression of the exaltation of the person of Jesus Christ because it comes down in pure white and it blankets the ugly that death reveals in fallen leaves and dead grass. All you have to do is take a moment and consider creation itself and how it expresses it is not exalting Christ the way it is supposed to. It is not exalting God because of the way, it, or the way it's supposed to, and it's because of the sin of mankind. It groans together in childbirth. Natural disasters are everywhere. 
hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes, the list goes on and on. You know, you know, these expressions of the world not being satisfied with where it is, and it's because of our sin. God brings desolations. He causes these things to happen. We groan, you and I groan. We ourselves, the passage goes on to say, Paul says, we, the ones who have the first fruits of the spirits, we groan inwardly. So now that we are imprinted with the Holy Spirit of God, there's, a, there's an inward groaning as we wait eagerly for the adoption of the sons to be revealed that we would actually see then who are the ones that God has determined to be His children. And it goes on to say the redemption of our bodies. So yes, yes, we ourselves groan inwardly so that we, that for the day that will come where it will be revealed who are our true brothers and sisters in Christ and also that we don't experience, we don't experience the sore knees, the elbows. We won't need glasses anymore. Our body's groaning in expression of it's not the way it's supposed to be, but one day it will be. God causes desolations to come. But look, closely tied to it, Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations. And I'm like, come on, Lord, why? Why? Why must you continue to bring desolations on the earth? Verse 9 says, he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. Desolations come in all of creation. But man brings desolation through war. Why, God? Why do you let it? Why do you cause it to happen? I believe the psalmist wants us to be thinking back. If you were an Israelite reading the psalm, you would be thinking to a very specific victory in Second Chronicles chapter 32, I believe it is, where Hezekiah in Israel have standing before them 185,000 troops of the Assyrian army behind Sennacherib, their king. And they're saying all kinds of crazy, crazy things to the Israelites that would make your flesh fall off your bones for fear. And this is what God says to his people through Hezekiah. He says, listen, I want you to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or do not be dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. Why, God, must you continue to permit desolations to come on the earth? Why must you permit desolations to come through war? Why, God, must you let these things continue to happen? Great Christmas message, isn't it? Well, after Hezekiah said those things to the people of Israel, that night it was proven there were way more with Israel than 185,000 chosen men of Assyria. Because that night, by God himself, the strong arm of the Lord destroyed the entire army, 185,000. And Israel needed to do nothing except, except wake up and see what God had done. 
for you and for me, when I read that passage, he brings desolations. He also makes them to cease. So I want to ask you a question before we transition to the next point. When you think, I, I know this, many of you are living in a land of desolation right now, and maybe it's relationship with, with children. Corey's like, when I'm leading worship, there are certain people I can't, th- I can't look at because it's going, to, it's going to provoke emotion to me because I know what they're going through. And so I just made eye contact with someone that I know is struggling with something with a child. To them, it's an experience of desolation. It's an internal war that spilled out and now is being experienced between them and their child as their child makes awful life decisions. Why, God, do you let these things happen? Why? Why do you permit us to live in a land of desolation? Well, let's go back to our Christmas wishes. What if God granted you absolutely every desire of your heart that you can come up with? What happens to your relationship with God in those moments? You know. Read through the book of Judges, and Israel is the perfect example of it. They live in a season of wonder and awe and awesomeness. They forget God. They start to decline. They, be, they come to an absolute atrocious place. God brings desolation to get their attention, to remind Him that He exists, for them to fall on their knees and repent and cry out for help, and then the Lord comes and saves them through the hands of a judge, for them to be saved, to experience a season of peace, to forget God, for desolation to come, for barrenness to come, for, for them to get on their knees and cry out to the Lord, save us. The Lord saves them again over and over and over again. Generation after generation, that was the expression of Israel toward God. We need desolation. We need war for God to come and prove how much He loves you and me. Simply look at the great need of the human heart at Christmas time. Why did God come? To save you and me from the desolate heart that we have inside of us that only He could have resolved by coming to be with us. I praise God in this moment for the hard things that He permits to come in to our lives to Summit Church because with them, He provides himself with the opportunity to prove himself so faithful and so amazing and so loving toward you and toward me. Proverbs 17 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord is the one that tests the heart. I'm like, there are times where I would love to jump in. I would love to jump into the crucible. I would love to jump into the furnace because that seems like that would be an easier place to find myself being refined than in some of the desolations that God permits me to experience, that God causes me to experience. But praise God for these things that tests our heart, that reveals to us our shortcomings and our great 
and everlasting need for the person of Jesus Christ. How can we experience Christmas this Christmas, or Christ this, how can, let me start over. How can we experience Christ this Christmas? Simply by accepting all of the works of the Lord. Yes, the things that bring us pleasure and the things that rob it, rob it from us. Here's another one. How can I experience peace this Christmas? By quieting my soul and exalting Christ as Lord. Look at verse 10. The psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all of the earth. I confess, miss, I, I've spent the last since I started to read, so let's say four decades misreading this. So when you read, be still and know that I am God, how does that strike you? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is how it strikes me. Be still and know that I am God. That is a tremendous, to me, expression of peace. Because I know that God is God. There's nothing that will change that. What I know of God is He is sovereign over all things. He is mighty to save. His arm is stronger than the arm of 185,000 of the enemy. This is who God is. This is a passage, yes, that is intended for those that read it like that. Those of us who see ourselves and find ourselves being harassed by the things of this world harassed by the hardships we face, harassed by the desolations and the wars that we experience. Yes, it is for, for us that are able to read it that way, but that's not the way the psalmist intended for us to read it. So receive, receive the peace-giving truth from that passage in regard to reading it that way, but here is really the way we should be reading it. For the New American Standard, um, folks in the crowd, it's you are more in line, you're reading a passage or, or a version that's more in line with the way we're supposed to read it. It says this, cease striving. So think back to verse 8, think back to verse 9. He's bringing, he has brought desolations into your life. He has permitted a war between you and your children that needs to be resolved between you and your spouse that needs to be resolved. He has caused this to happen. Lord, please stop this from happening in my life. And then he says, be still, be still, and know that I am God. Cease striving or be quiet. Simply sit down before the Lord and be quiet. I think of Job. I think of God saying, all right, Job, you've said enough. I know you've experienced terrible things in your life. It's time for you to stop and listen. Be quiet. Peace be still. I believe you're going to hear this preached next week. Peace be still when Jesus utters the words over the waters a desolation being expressed through waves that were threatening the lives of the disciples in a boat, and, God, and Jesus says, peace be still. How about this one? 
when we're told to be still and know that I am God, leave off and stop opposing me. When the psalmist tells us to be still and know that God is God, he is saying, stop opposing me. When these hard things come into your life, I want you to stop opposing me. Because guess what? The moment is coming where I am going to be exalted through this. Remember, wars come, but God stops the wars. He breaks the bow. He, he shatters the spear. He burns the chariot. Everything that stands against us. God is saying, it needs to come. Permit it and exalt me in the middle of it. Watch and wait as I do a magnificent work in and through this season of desolation. Leave off and stop opposing me. Wait patiently for me to do my thing, God says. I will be exalted. Here are my top three things. Simple, a simple desolation is, you've heard me complain about this before, tinnitus in my ears. God, I don't like that. I am, I'm getting to a place where I'm like, is this going to get worse? And if it is, am I going to lose my mind? So I hear the Lord in this passage saying, stop opposing me. Be quiet. I'm going to resolve this for you in a way that exalts me. Keep that in mind, exalts me. I would also wish from God that there was no but diabetes in my family. Two sons with diabetes. I would call that a war against a broken pancreas, or two, actually. I don't want that in my life. Remove it, God. And I hear him saying, leave off and stop opposing me. This is necessary. I would love it right now if God would stop my dad from hurting over the loss of his bride of near 60 years. In our church, I would prefer if there were no broken marriages, there were no broken relationships between parents and children, there were no prodigals, that people were knocking it out of the park when their relationship with the Lord, they weren't struggling with these deep-seated strongholds. I would love it if that were true in the life of our church. What would happen if God determined to grant me every single one of those requests? He would remove all desolation. He would remove the wars that the God is using to keep my attention. What would happen? That would be God exalting me. God, do this for me. Okay, I'll do this for you the way you want to. God exalting me. God, I want you to do this over here. Okay, fine, I'm going to do this over here. That is God exalting me. Why doesn't he respond the way we think he should all the time? It's because we are to be still and know that he is God, that he is the one to be exalted. He is the one to be exalted in all of the earth, 
He is the one to be exalted in our nation. Hey, be still. Stop opposing God. He has a great plan for the United States of America. What is it? I don't know. But he says, be still and know that I am going to be exalted in the United States. Be still and know, God says, I'm going to be exalted in Grand Haven. I am going to be exalted in Holland. Stop opposing me. I have a plan. Just keep your attention on me. Be still and know that God is going to be exalted in Summit Church. Yes, there's hardship. Yes, there is brokenness. But God says, I am going to be exalted through every single one of these areas of desolation and battle you are facing. Be still and know that God is going to be exalted in your personal battle. Stop fighting him. He has a grand plan for you that we must simply need to patiently wait on. And so, really, if it comes around to one singular point for you to walk away from um, this message with, if you want everlasting peace, you must accept the truth that when God is exalted in your life is when you experience peace, even when it's hard, even when it's hard. We were in Switzerland. <clears throat> this, is pretty, this is pretty awesome imagery, all right? God is going to be exalted in all the earth. So this is really, really great. Why is there a Christmas season? Why? It's because God determined, I'm coming to be with man, God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus is born of a virgin into our world. Bam, Christmas. 2,000 years later, there is still a celebration happening all over the world at this time of the year. And you can be like, well, yeah, but they don't mean it for what we mean it for. I agree. But guess what? They are exalting God without even being aware of it because they are celebrating something, even if they don't know what they're celebrating. They're celebrating at that time with, with Christmas trees and lights and Christmas carols because Jesus came to be with us, whether they're willing to accept it or not. We, we jump on a train. We had a one-day layover in Switzerland. We head up to Luzerne up in the mountains or somewhere. We couldn't see because it was foggy and raining the entire time we were there. So we couldn't see anything except for what was in the town of Zern. Excuse me, Lutzern. Becky, Sam's wife, spent three months in Lutzern, so when I said Luzern, she corrected me. That's how you say it, Lutzern. Anyhow, we were walking through the most spectacular Swiss Christmas what do you call them? Markets, villages set up with, with little shacks and lights and everything. It's dark out. It's like 45 degrees, and it's raining, and the place is packed with people. They are celebrating. They are celebrating, even if they don't realize it, they're celebrating right then because of the person of Jesus Christ. He came. God will be exalted in all of the earth 
whether mankind is willing to accept it or not, and we know this, one day every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will exalt Him whether they like it or not, and I praise God for that. Be still and know that I am God, God says. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. You can experience peace this Christmas when you're willing to accept God is using the desolate places in my life to keep my attention, to test me, to grow me in my relationship with Him. Now, we would be quiet and exalt Christ as Lord. I'm going to throw the last two together. How can I experience peace? Look at verse 11 at Christmas. We must remember that the Lord is with us, the God of Jacob. He is our fortress. By trusting in God's promised presence and by trusting in God's promised protection. Desolations and wars come. I think about Israel seeing 185,000 standing against them. And Hezekiah says, hey, the Lord's going to come and fight our battles for us. So for Israel, they hear, they hear that God is coming, and He's going to take care of this for them. I think about you and me right now. God is with us as He is in us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Matthew chapter 1, he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. For the disciples that were hearing Jesus say that, like, yeah, man, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. He is now with us. And then chapter 16 in John, Jesus says, hey, I got to go now, but it's necessary for me to go. And I'm like, wait a minute, God with us, you are here. Now you're leaving? How does that work? And Jesus says, hey, I got to go, and it's to your benefit, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. So I must go. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is here. The disciples, makes no sense. You're leaving? And he says, yes, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and the moment any individual accepts the truth of the person of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, becomes Emmanuel, God with us, gives his life up at the cross after 30 couple of years to serve as the atoning sacrifice to make a way for you and me to be in everlasting relationship with him. This makes no sense to me. I, I wrestle with this all the time. Would you rather have Jesus walking next to you or the Holy Spirit in you? Jesus says, it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit in you than it is for me to walk with you. I can't wait for the day where I have the Holy Spirit in me and I get to walk with Jesus. When God says, when Jesus says, it is better that the Holy Spirit comes, he is simply saying, you need me inside of you. And then I will never leave you or forsake you. That is when my presence becomes real and forever and everlasting. I am your fortress. I will be your protection. Praise God that Jesus came.
Emmanuel, God with us. We can experience this Christmas when we are willing to accept everything that Jesus has done, when we accept all that He does, when we simply can quiet ourselves and accept what He has for us and that He is working a grand plan, and then we simply trust that He is with us. Why do we have Christmas music as we wrap this up? It's because it provokes peace, warmth, calm. It settles the heart. My favorite, my favorite hymn is O Holy Night. Excuse me. Hymn, Christmas hymn. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Emmanuel, God with us. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. That's the heart of every man, every woman that stands opposed to God. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. When the Holy Spirit of God comes into you and you repent and give your life to him, you feel the worth the value, the tremendous treasure we each have in God with us, Emmanuel. Mary, she broke out when all of this hit her square in the face and the first words out of her mouth were, my soul magnifies the Lord. When you receive the truth of the person of Jesus Christ, you magnify the Lord, you exalt the Lord with your mouth and with your life. How can I have peace this Christmas? Exalt Christ as Lord. Well, how do I do that? Hebrews says, you want to exalt Jesus? You fix your eyes on him. You fix your eyes on him. He is the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him, he scorned the cross and its shame, and he is now exalted and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God the Father, speaking on your behalf. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Father, that's not always easy. And so we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would humble us to be able to settle in, to be quiet, to accept what you have for us, and to know that our peace can abound because you are with us. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.